are in the midst of our series entitled Rhythm. Uh, and we, we, we've titled it Rhythm because we're looking at uh, life and the entirety of life. And many of us have been going through this, this uh, perpetual desire or journey to find balance in our life. I mean, we all, we all need balance, right? And we, we try to find this balance, but it's a lot like trying to chase Bigfoot. You think you got him, and then he's gone. Because really, balance is a myth. It's a burden, and it's bunk. Balance is unattainable, because balance implies being static, being stationary, um, and life isn't that way. Life has ebbs and flows and rhythms, and it has seasons and cycles, and it's learning to recognize those and adjust to those in the midst of it. In these past few weeks, we've talked about finding rhythm just in life, and rhythm in your prayer life, rhythm in your married, married life. And today, since we're talking about uh, VBS and children, we're talking about having rhythm in your parenting. Rhythm in your parenting. And we're going to the hallmark passage in all of Scripture. This is known as the Shema, the rallying cry for Israel. This is their anthem. This is their, their motto. This is their mission statement. This is so much about who the nation of Israel is that God has given to us. And we can look and see in the Word of God how we can apply this to our lives as New Testament Christians. Because in and through this, we learn about who God is, and we also learn a great deal about who we are and what God desires from us. It's a huge, huge uh, passage. And it's called the Shema because it comes from the first Hebrew word there, hear, O Israel. And the word here there is Shema. So this is the Shema of God that God has given to us and shows us what our responsibilities are uh, as parents. Now, allow me to say this. This passage applies not only to parents with small children in the home. This passage applies because the principles that are contained therein to every parent in every single generation, no matter what their children, their ages are, without exception. And it also is something for singles who, in the hope that they can understand what they've been taught, and they can also see that if God does have marriage in their future, that they can see what they are to communicate and prepare themselves even now for what God has for them. So we're talking today about the power of a parent. So today I invite you to look with me in the Word of God as we see what God has for us. But before that, let's pause for a moment and ask God's blessing on our time. Father, we do come into your presence knowing that you are Father. You are the one from whom all families receive their name. And Lord, we look to you today to see what it means to be a parent, and the power that you have given unto us to communicate to the next generation. Lord, there are some here today that are excited to hear this, and there's others that are dreading because they look in the rearview mirror at their, their parenting mistakes and regrets. Lord, I pray that you might encourage us to show that there's, it's not too late to communicate the truth of who you are to the next generation. No matter if we're parents matter if we're singles and not yet parents, or if we're grandparents or great-grandparents or aunts or uncles, Lord, may the truth of your word apply unto us 
that we might go forth changed and making your name known. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, allow me to say, first of all, that I'm not a perfect parent. Um, parenting is, is difficult, as any parent has known. And there's not a manual that comes home with the baby the moment you bring him from the hospital. And I was actually kind of looking for that when we first brought our daughter home to someone to show me what to do. And you learn as you go. And as some have said, by the time you figure it out, it's over. Very, very true. And I have looked at the lives of those who have gone before me, seeking them for wisdom, and I'm reminded of George Sweeting, who was the past president of Moody Bible Institute. He's in his 90s now. He's an elder in the the north uh, suburbs of Chicago, and he's written many different books over the years. And when he was a, a young parent, he was asked to write a book about parenting. And recently, Moody Publishers came to him, or in the last few years, asked him and said, can we republish this book? And he said, no. Because he said, I realize now some of my failures that were overlooked when I wrote that book. And I think he understood that we learn as much from our successes, but we learn a lot more from our failures. And the biggest thing that we can have in our parenting rearview mirror is regret. So we go to the Word of God trying to extrapolate the timeless principles that are there, seeing that we come in godly fear before God, asking Him to help us be the parents that He desires us to be. Because God Himself is the perfect parent, and yet we rebel. And I, I want to make that clear. I have seen so, some parents that think if I can do A plus B, that will always equal C. Well, you can be the greatest parent in the world, and your child can still rebel. So we need to make sure that we go to the Word of God and we humbly ask God to intercede for us in the lives of our children. Knowing that we do have a huge power that has been placed within us to communicate to the next generation. And God honors that. It's not about a formula. It's about faith. It's not about creating legalism, but teaching them how to live and displaying how to live life. And then beseeching God to change their heart. I'm reminded of the power of a parent by looking at the example of a woman named Monica. Monica was a woman who lived in northern Africa many, many, many years ago. And she had an unbeliever for a husband. And she had a, a young son who was, had great academic promise. He was talented. And so she looked at her son and she noticed that he had all of this hope for him. So she tried to communicate the gospel to him as best as she possibly could of being in a marriage where she was unequally yoked. She prayed for them. She continued to give him counsel and teach the word of God to him. But he had his own sinful nature and he loved the lust of the flesh. So he indulged in, in huge immorality. And he was continuing to do well academically. And he, took, uh, he moved in with his girlfriend. And, and he ended up having a child out of wedlock. And, and it was just worrying his mother. She kept praying for him. And she looked to the father. And the father was encouraging him in his licentious behavior. And then finally the son ends up moving and takes a job as a professor in Italy pretty distinguished job. By this time, the, his father had died, but this mother had such a yearning for her son to come to know Jesus that she pursued him to Africa. And we might say that she's a little bit of a possessive mother. She needs to cut the cord. 
but she yearned for her son to know the Lord. She started attending church there, and the pastor of the church was so overwhelmed by her prayers that she had for her son that she would not let go. And he said, I can't see heaven not fulfilling the prayers that you have for him. Finally, this young man, he grew up to be 33 years old, and then saw the truth of Christ. God broke through his his barrier of addictions and immorality, and he surrendered his life to Christ, turned his life around, and became one of the greatest theologians the church has ever known, and his name was Augustine. But it's the power of Monica. Her prayers that worked within the heart of this young man. And we see the power of a parent that God has given to us. And each one of us in this room can testify to the power of a parent for good or for ill. You can, and I, I, I believe that you can tell me about something your parent failed at or hurt you, and it could be 60, 70, 80 years ago, and you can remember the moment You can remember the inflection. You can remember what you were wearing. You can remember what they were wearing because the power of a parent is massive and God has made it that way. God has made us to influence the next generation and the question that we must ask ourselves is how can we influence this generation to the glory of God's name and find our rhythm the way that God wants us to be and do for His glory. So we look to His Word, and we see, first of all, in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. Now it's interesting there, as we look at this passage When he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, he is giving the covenant name of God. There are different names that God reveals of himself through his word. This is the covenant name, Yahweh, the holiest name of God. The great I Am is communicating. And then he makes this statement, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, he's writing to a Jewish audience who had just come out of slavery in Egypt. But they'd seen the pantheon of Egyptian gods and goddesses like Ra or or you have Isis or Osiris or, or Set or Horus. And they had this pantheon of Egyptian gods and goddesses. And God is telling his people and reminding them who he is. The Lord, the covenant God, is one. So he he he's showing himself completely distinct, different. And holy. He is the Holy One. And He says then, Love the Lord your God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul. So, what He's saying there is this, and this is number one in your notes is if we are to find our rhythm in our parenting, then it first involves us loving the holy. And I mean God, He is the holy. He is the utterly separate one, the distinct one, the one who has given us life and breath and meaning and abilities and and the reason that we can understand things. And He is the one that controls and has our life in His hands. We're to be loving the holy. Now, there are three parts to this loving the holy. Before we actually get into the parenting part, we need to see ourselves and take care of what God has for us as individuals. 
Because it's just like being on an airplane. What do they tell you when you're sitting in the airplane and they're giving the instructions right at the beginning of the flight? And they say, if the cabin becomes depressurized, oxygen mass will drop from the ceiling. And what are you supposed to do if you're a parent? Are you to put the mask over your child first? No. Why not? Because you could become disoriented, and then that child is going to be left completely helpless. So you're to take care of yourself and then them. You know, it's interesting. Babe Ruth, when he was coming near the end of his career and after he retired, he wanted to become a manager of a ball club. And one man said to him, you'll never become a manager because you, you can't manage men because you can't manage yourself. You've got to learn to manage yourself first. So we have to take care of our, ourselves. And what I mean by that is make sure that our walk with God is there. So it means loving the holy. Now, secondly, it means this. We're to love God, but God is not who we make him out to be. He is not our own creation. He is not this amalgam of every different faith that we put together. He is the one true God. And if we're to worship this God, Jesus said that we are to worship him in spirit and in truth. Which means the, the essence of who we are But it also means, according to the truth of his word, and what he has revealed of himself. So we understand that then involves doctrinal purity. So we're to be loving the holy, and that involves doctrinal purity. And what I mean is, is you're not going to get every piece of doctrine right, but it means that we're loving according to what he has revealed himself, and which means we can't understand who he is until we take the time to study His Word and let His Word speak to us. That's where it begins. So we need to make sure that we have doctrinal purity. Now notice next, the text says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, what does that mean there? Loving with all the heart. That's the, the word in Hebrew understands the center of the will, the essence of who we are. With all of your might is all of your strength, all of your abundance, your, your, your will and everything about who you are. And the soul is your very life breath. What does that mean? It means we're to be pursuing God wholeheartedly. So you must have doctrinal purity, But you must make sure that you are pursuing God wholeheartedly. Now, allow me to say this. It is not the church's job to raise your child. It is our job to help equip you to do the work of the ministry. You're all ministers. You know that the scripture says that we are the priesthood of all believers. There are some kids that I've encountered over the years that have been what we call church orphans, where their parent literally just drives them to the door, they get out, and they drive off. It is your responsibility. Because it's not about so much what is taught, although that's important, but it's what is caught. It's what is caught. So we need to make sure that we are Pursuing wholeheartedly. Now, if we're to do that, that involves banishing hypocrisy. That's implied. Banishing hypocrisy. You know, hypocrisy is when we're not doing what we say we're doing. Do you remember, for those who are a little older, 
remember the commercial, the anti-drug commercial from the 80s. A man found some of his son's drug paraphernalia, confronts his son, his teenage son, and he says, where did you get this? And he goes, where did you learn this? And he keeps pressing his son, and the son finally responds with exasperation and says, I learned it by watching. Why is that so important? Because it's not so much what is taught, but what is caught. Because look, they look at your life. They look at your life to see what is true. Not what you say is true, but what you do. I'm reminded of the movie Starman in, in 1980s, starring Jeff Bridges and Karen Allen. Uh, Jeff Bridges came to Earth as an alien, and actually it's a pretty weird movie, but it's sci-fi, so stay with me. And he assumes the body of her dead husband. And they end up going on the run for a period of time, and she gets tired. She's driving the car, so she has him and him drive. He, she goes, do you know how to drive? He goes, yes. Have you, do you, you don't know how to drive. He goes, I've been watching you, and I understand the rules. So she gets in the driver's seat. I mean, he gets in the driver's seat. She goes to sleep, and then she starts waking him up, waking up, and he's driving. And she's talking to him, and she's kind of groggy. And, and they come upon a, a stoplight, and it's far away. And they, he, she sees the yellow turn to, I mean, the, the stoplight turn to, from green to yellow. And then very far away, he hits the accelerator and speeds up. And she's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, 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 and he rushes through traffic. A semi-truck has to vein and crashes into another car. And then she's saying, what did you do? And he's like, I'm driving. And she said, well, I thought you said you watch me and you learn the rules. He said, yes, I learned the rules. And she said, what are you talking about? He said, green, go. Red, stop. Yellow, go faster. <laughs> now, see, we know intuitively the rule says, what do you do when you see a yellow light? Slow down. So we might say to our children, do this. But when we are in reality doing something different, what are they paying attention to? paying attention to what we do, not what we say. Our children learn a lot from us, so we must make sure that we are banishing hypocrisy. Now let's go back. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Now I find this very fascinating as we look at the passage. Go back to verse 6 for a second before we even move on to verse 7. Verse 6 says, you are actually verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. And these words that I command you today shall be in your heart. So notice, verse 4, he makes a theological statement. Then after that, he talks about the personal application of that statement. And then what's the third thing he does? Immediately, doesn't say go change the world. He says, do what? Communicate it to the next generation. I find that extremely fascinating that in the heartbeat of Judaism, that embedded in itself is to communicate it to the next generation. So God is telling us that we have the primary responsibility of shepherding our child's heart. Shepherding our child's heart. Now, I'm not talking about outward, just outward obedience. As if to just make them conform to a certain social standard is going to challenge and touch their heart. It's not. But it means identifying their heart cry, shepherding them, and teaching them. It's shepherding their heart, and it means several different things to be shepherding the heart of a child. Shepherding our child's heart involves, first of all, keeping, keeping the gospel the main thing. Keeping the gospel the main thing. 
Notice, when you're to be teaching your children, he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. We must make sure that we are shepherding our children and keeping the gospel the main thing. That is the heartbeat of what God is saying. Now, it's interesting. I was reading today. Uh, I'm breaking in a new Bible. And I was reading through the genealogy or getting ready to read the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. One of those, what I call a normal flyover verse. We just get through all of that. And we want to get to the other details. Now, it's fascinating as we look back at this, because remember that writing wasn't the main communication tool early on in Jewish history. It was oral tradition. And one of the ways that we can see this worked out is in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Not everyone had the ability to read and write, but the reason they were to be taught all the time is that they were to make it a part of who they were so they could recite even the genealogy because it was so important to their identity. Because their identity became united with their theology. And it ended up transforming them. So we have to keep the gospel the main thing in our lives. And when are we supposed to be teaching our children? Sunday morning? When we, what? When you wake up. Wake up in the morning. I, I sit down with my children at breakfast and we tr- I try to teach them. They don't always listen. But I try to teach them. When we're in the car, we're driving, I try to teach them theology or about who God is and get them to to recite different things. Now, let me say this. You can't take your children beyond where you yourself are. And if you want to communicate it to the next generation, you have to grow yourself. You know, there was an interesting experiment, not experiment done. I was reading a book called Interactive Excellence several years ago about a man who designs children's museums. And he said one of the challenges about doing a children's museum is when you have the displays, the interactions. He said because you have to be able to give enough information to the parent to communicate that with the child. Because if it's above the parent's head, they're not going to want to stop and interact with the kid. See, the kid will only learn what their parent will help show them. See, we ourselves have to be able to grow in our own walk with the Lord. And many of us feel like we don't have the tools necessary. We don't have the training necessary. God's word is sufficient. We're to simply teach them and instruct them with the word of God. So we need to make sure that we are communicating to that next generation by keeping the gospel the main thing. See, when we're at home or when we're on a journey, when we go to bed at night, when we wake up in the morning, and many Jews, though, took this verse literally, and they created little boxes called phylacteries. And they took leather straps, and they still have this today. If you go to Israel today, you'll see these little boxes, and contained in it are miniature copies of the Jewish law. And they have it in this little box, and it's wrapped around their hand and even on their head. And they have a thing called a mezuzah, which you've ever been to a Jewish home. You'll see this little thing screwed into the side of the wall. And it's got a strange symbol on it. And it is the symbol of the Jewish law. Because they say, when I go through my gates, it's the understanding that when I'm at home, I'm, I'm dedicated in pursuing God. When I'm at work, when I'm out on vacation, when I'm traveling, when I wake up in the morning, when I get to bed at night, it's all encompassing. God wants all of our life, not just a part of it. 
He wants us to be pursuing Him wholeheartedly and wanting, wanting to communicate that to the next generation. That means banishing hypocrisy and giving ourselves unto Him. Because again, children see the reality of our lives. And when we communicate, we might say one thing, but we actually do another. Children will see through that. You know, it's interesting. Swiss researchers discovered this, that if dad faithfully attends church, even though mom doesn't, kids are still 44% more likely to keep going to church as adults. 44%. But if mom goes regularly and dad never shows up, only 2% of the kids continue to attend. That's a very big gap in telling signs of why the father's influence is so significant. Now, you might be a, what I call a spiritual widow where you are married, you are loving the Lord, your, your spouse does not, and I continue to be just like Monica. Continue to pray for your children. Now, one p- youth pastor of 20 years of experience, he agrees with this asset- assessment. He says, kids who are taken to church by mom but not dad are harder to keep in church. They tend to drop out at higher rates when they reach adolescence. They're also harder to engage when they do not come to youth group. This is true for girls as well as boys. And he says, when it comes to kids, parents should do more than keep them in church. Meeting their children's spiritual needs goes beyond attending church and must be a priority for every parent. The relationship that parents establish with their, with their children determines to a very large extent their outcomes. If we as parents don't feed their souls, they will seek to fill that emptiness with drugs, alcohol, or sex, and they, or they will continue to turn to dozens of other ways teens mess up their lives by seeking a parental and faith substitute. Which means we must be keeping the gospel the main thing in our lives. Now, the next thing we need to do is this. We're talking about waking up in the morning when we go to bed at night. Many of us aren't so systematic. I look at it this way. It's not about having a devotional in the morning with your son or daughter. That's not what I'm talking about. But it means capturing God moments. Capturing God moments. What I mean by that is this. Though you must systematically be training, you look for those opportunities to speak the truth of God into their lives. Whether you are a grandparent or a parent, you have that ability to speak that truth into their lives. One of the greatest influencers in my life was my grandfather. He would put me in the tractor with him. My grandfather was a farmer when I was a kid. I would just sit up in the back and be with my grandfather. I would walk with him. We'd get in the car, and he would just talk to me. It meant a lot to me as a kid. Put his hand on my knee. That always freaked me out. But I knew that he loved me. I knew that. And he communicated meaning to me. And we captured these moments. And he would sit down, and he would open the Word of God. And when he opened the Word of God, I knew something very important was going on. I didn't understand everything that he said, but I knew it was serious. And I remember when he sat down with me when I was 12 years old, he, he opened the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, and he read that passage to me. And I had really not, I had no idea what he was really talking about, but I knew it was very, very serious what he was saying. We as parents have the ability to capture those God moments. When your child asks you a question, and, and I am amazed, not just children in their, their adolescence, but adult children when they're going through a difficult time, that they're seeking your help. I'm still in communication with my mother, asking her advice on things. My mom doesn't have a college degree. My mom doesn't have a master's degree. I've gone on for significant more education than her. But I value her wisdom. 
and life experience. And I still value what she has to say. When she speaks the truth of God into me, it, it means tremendous amount. Why? Because a parent has the ability to influence their children. So we need to make sure that we are capturing God moments. And also make sure that we understand that we are the ones who help give them meaning. You know, I read a fascinating book a little while back by a man named Malcolm Gladwell, New York Times bestselling author. He wrote a book called Blink. And in it, he also he talks about in this book, how we have thousands of expressions in our faces. We call them micro-expressions. Raising of an eyebrow, or communicates a frown. And there was an experiment done with small babies where they could hear their parents' voice but not see their face, and they, they wouldn't have hardly any reaction. It's when they could see the face and they learned to read those reactions for themselves that they determined what was good, what was bad, what was acceptable, what was unacceptable. See, they learn from the cradle meaning on what is good and what is bad. And we have that ability to teach them. We're the ones that help give them meaning and direction, that show that they are valuable, to show how to respect authority, to have what attitude, the right attitude to have. Acceptance. How huge is that? How many of us bear scars from a parent who we just long to give us a hug? To say that they loved us. I was reading the story about one man who his father had gone into a coma. He had flown across the country to be at his father's deathbed. And he was just crying over the father's body. And he goes, I just want to hear three words. Say you love me. You love me. His father never did drifted in and died. Why? Because that communicates so much about who we are when we know we're accepted to our parents. We communicate so much to them. I was in, uh, I got to go, you know, we're talking about roller coasters. Yesterday we got to go to Six Flags. I haven't been to Six Flags in like 10 years. And we're at Six Flags and we're in line. And you learn a lot about the depravity of man in line at Six Flags. It was the opportunity to teach of the sinfulness of man and the fall of Adam and Eve with my daughter. <laughs> Here's all to display for the world to see, honey. Okay? And as we're, we're doing that and we're talking, and I see one man. And his little boy uh, was getting ready to go on this, this big, the big tower that goes up and looks all over Six Flags and goes in a big circle. You know, it goes like 330 feet in the air, and it's real ginger and real quiet. And the kid was scared. Honestly, I was a little terrified. I was like, 330 feet, man. And I, I didn't help my daughter. We'd get on roller coasters. And she's like, what if it falls off? She goes, I'm so scared. I'm like, it's okay. It'll be over in a few minutes. How do you know? It'll be over. Two and a half minutes, it'll be done or we'll be with Jesus. <laughs> Doesn't help a kid, you know. <laughs> but as we're getting ready to get on this tower, this man looks at his son. His son is having anxiety of going up so high. And he just... He tries to get out of line. His, his dad's like, get out of here, sissy. And I was like, you're such a jerk. Yeah, I understand we're to build manhood into our children. I understand that, especially boys. But you also have to be there and say, it's okay. Let's take that step together. Let's conquer that. Some of us have grown up with parents that way. They said that, that felt if they said, I love you, it was somehow being soft wasn't being manly or showing emotion wasn't being manly. I would say that those men don't really understand what manliness is. 
If you go back even in ancient history and you read Homer, you see these men crying out on death and emotion. They're some of the greatest heroes that have passed on through history. So we must make sure that we are being very careful and understand that we have been given the responsibility of giving them meaning. Now, you might be saying to yourself, my children aren't that small anymore. They're grown. Or they're getting ready to go out of the house, or perhaps they've already gone, or now you're, you're even having, you're, you're in what I call parenting too. Maybe you're raising grandchildren in your home. Maybe you're, you're disconnected, or maybe you've never had children of your own, but you're an aunt or an uncle or an influencer of some way, shape, or form. Then I want us to understand that we still can influence the next generation by seizing the time we have left. Seizing the time we have left. I was reading the story about one man who talked about how his daughter has grown up and moved out, but yet she cut off all communication. He says, about 23, our daughter, when, without explanation, she cut off all communication with us, stopped coming to see us, rarely answered our phone calls, and when she did, abruptly told us that she'd call us when she felt like talking, and please don't call her. So at first we felt really hurt. We didn't know what to do. And then we were really angry. What have we done to deserve such treatment? Then my wife said something really important. Suppose this isn't something painful she's doing against us. Suppose it's something painful she needs to be doing, um, she needs to be doing for her. So that's what we decided it was. And to let her know that we loved her and were thinking about her, every week I sent her a single red rose with a card that read, We love you. We love you. And I did this for about seven months. Seven months sent one red rose every week to his daughter. Finally, she called. She wanted to come over and see us, and she did. And we've been lovingly back together ever since. Of course, I asked her about the roses, curious to know what she did with them. At first, she said, I threw them away. Then I gave them away to friends. And finally, I started keeping them, signs that you were keeping me in your heart, one rose at a time. True, communicating love, acceptance. That time we have left. There might be some barrier between you and your son or your daughter. Come back to them. Humble yourself before them. Just tell them that you love them. Let them know. You have time left. While you still are breathing and have life in you, you have the ability, just like that man was longing to hear from his father on his deathbed. Your children are longing. For those who are parents who are children are out or your grandparents... They're longing for that. I don't care how old they are. I don't care how they shrug it off or what they do. They look to you to help communicate meaning. So make sure that you're seizing the moment you have left. Now, we've been talking about two kinds of time. There's chronos time and there's kairos time. Chronos time is that which is cyclical and completely repeating. Kairos time is the moments we seize in the time. One is quantity time, the other is quality time. So I want us to look at two different times as we close out today of, first of all, chronos time. First of all, if we're going to influence our children or our grandchildren, I'm going to give you some real practical things. It means carving out time in your calendar. Carving out time in your calendar. See, in the biblical passage for today, we see them continually, diligently teaching them to your children. We have to take the time to do it. Now, let me say this, and I, I don't know how many of us struggle with this, but 
the success that you achieve in your career pales in significance to the success or failure that you will have as a parent. You know, there was an interesting documentary my uh, wife and my brother-in-law were just watching this past week. Uh, it was called Happy. Happy. It was these, uh, these men, movie makers went off and examined different people in different societies to determine what makes someone happy. And you know that money and career and success had nothing to do with happiness? And some of the most driven countries in the world, my brother-in-law has been uh, visiting us, and he's been living in Korea. We've talked about the suicide rates in Korea are astronomically high because the pressure they have on them academically is more than they can handle because it's more about social status and accomplishment, and that's not what makes someone happy. Do you know what makes someone happy? Relationships. And a lot of times it comes down to family and friends. That determines a great deal of our worth. It's amazing, isn't it? But we've all bought this lie that if we can achieve enough and have status enough and people will look at our son or our daughter and their academic accomplishment and they're this, they're a lawyer, they're a doctor, they've done that. You know, that means nothing at the end of the time. It's about the relationships that we have. That's what communicates meaning. And most of all, are they followers of Jesus? As I've said before, you can get your son or daughter in the Emmy Awards or on the cover of Sports Illustrated with the MVP World Series ring and them not love Jesus, and you have failed. You have failed. I don't care what society says. You have failed as a parent. Failed. So we have to be seizing the time we have left, carving out the calendar. Next, we need to be creating ceremonies. Now, what I mean by that is this. We do things that communicate meaning to our children. And I'm not saying you have to have this really ceremony of utmost serious, but what I mean there is traditions and rituals in our families that communicate meaning. Passing the baton to the next generation or showing that they are valued, they are significant, and our life has something greater that we are accountable to. Part of that means going to church together means being together as a body, choosing church over other activities. Everybody getting my meaning? God has to be the priority. If you're saying God is the priority and you put something else in, are you communicating what? We need to be, make sure that we are communicating, meeting, and helping them pass that torch to the next generation, celebrating together, also affirming their accomplishments and their milestones that they are passing through, celebrating these milestones or rites of passage. Part of parenting involves being present in a child's life, especially during critical milestones like birthdays, getting their driver's license, dating their first boyfriend or girlfriend. These rites of passage are important, especially to teens. And one study revealed that a parent's inactivity or absence during those times made teens more likely to create their own moments by participating in risky behaviors such as drinking, drug use, gang activity, early sexual activity, and dangerous driving. The reverse is also true. That for teens whose parents were involved during key moments, not only were less likely to participate in those risky behaviors, but teens were also happier people. Those traditions, those moments that we build into our children's lives to communicate meaning. That's why I've seen this movement uh, that's gone on in many Christian circles. It's, uh, it's this manhood and, and womanhood movement 
where these young men have these men come around them and help work them through these rites of passage in their, at their age. And they say, we are now going to recognize you as an adult. These men come around them. They have like a ceremony where they even give these, men, these young men rings. And on the ring, it's got a shield. It's, they call it like knighthood. And they see it and they notice it for every rite of passage. And one time they'll even give the young man a sword to show that he's becoming now a man. And it's the same for women. And it's interesting that cultures that don't have this will look for ways to express this to show that they're no longer children, but they're now adults. But in our society, we have perpetual adolescence where there is no clear line of demarcation between being a child and being an adult. Paul says, when I was a child, I thought as a child. But when I was adult, I put childish things away. We have to make sure that we are putting childish things away and embracing and helping our children embrace those rites of passage by creating ceremonies. We also must make sure that we are creating or cultivating consistency. Cultivating consistency which means living, and it's just like hypocrisy, we're abandoning all of those other things and we are being consistent in our pursuit of Christ because it's not so much uh, our words but our walk that is truly communicated. Now I want to add two little things to this. This isn't in your notes, but it also means cherishing time as a couple. You can write that in your notes. Cherishing time as a couple. Mom, do you want your young man or your daughter I mean, or let me actually ask this to the singles. When you ha- raise your children, you want your child to marry someone like who? It's interesting. I tell people when, uh, when they're dating, for a woman, when you look at that young man, do you want your son growing up to be like that man? Because he will. Men, do you want your daughter to be like this woman that you're looking at as wife? Because she will. See, children are looking at that, and we must cherish time as a couple, build that together, because their understanding of marriage is determined by you. So it's interesting, on the, on the way home last night from Six Flags, I, I, uh, my kids said something to me, which is, it's become road in our home. I always like to mess with my kids, because I want them to be in counseling later. <laughs> Kidding. But I tell my kids, hey kids, guess what? And they, they know what? Say it. What is it? Guess what, kids? <laughs> and she said, you're in love with our mother. Because that's what I said. Guess what? I'm in love with your mother. And then I, I grab her in my arms and I give her a big kiss and they go, Bleh. But it's become so rote that they say that now. I say, guess what? And they're like, you're, we're, you're in love with our mother. You're in love with our mother. But I want them to understand that. This is what I want them to have. Someone better than me, but someone will cherish and love and protect and just adore them. So when they see a young man come into their life, and they'll be able to weed that out and say, that's not the kind of guy that I want. I want someone who's going to love me like my dad loved my mom. Communicates meaning. They look at our example. And when we are cultivating time as a couple and building our marriage, then our children are stronger because of it. So make sure you're cherishing time as a couple. Also, making sure that we are committing to creating a margin of rest. That's not in your notes either. Committing to create a margin of rest. What it means by that is this. After God made the heavens and the earth, he stepped back and he declared it was good. See, he had to step back and look at and, and evaluate. We have to create and evaluate our marriages and our parenting. 
by stepping back and evaluating are we, how are we doing as a parent? How are we doing as a spouse? How are we doing as a grandparent? How are we doing in the relationships we have? Maybe you're a godparent or maybe you're an aunt and uncle and you have that type of influence over your, your, your niece or nephew or cousin or relative's life. How are you doing in that relationship? Create that margin of rest to be evaluating that. So that's in the Kronos time. Next, we have the Kairos time. These are the moments that we are to seize, to take hold of when we have them before us. And that involves a few different things. First of all, it involves embracing them affectionately. Embracing them affectionately. Now, it's interesting. John Trent and Gary Smalley wrote a book in the 1980s called The Blessing, saying that we are wired for blessing. And we see it within, the, the, uh, especially in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, where you have one older part, the, the generation preceding the, you know, the next generation, they are blessing them in a significant way. And many times they would put their hand on them, or they would affectionately kiss them, touch them. See, many of us need that, long for that touch. My daughter will come up to me and she goes, I need a hug today. I need a hug. I mean, when we have that embrace, there's something that happens to us because God's made us to be that way. We're to make sure that we're grabbing hold of them because if we don't give it to them, where are they going to find it? Someplace else. And it's interesting. Another study was done just recently where they were talking about, not recently, but um, it was referred to in the book. And they, they were talking about how men, especially with young daughters, will give them affection until they reach about preteen, midteen, and then that ceases. And that's the time they need it. It's to be holding on to them and touching them appropriately, loving them, telling them that they're loved. And don't waste that. Use it. Embrace them affectionately. We see Jesus doing this in Mark chapter 10. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. Just that he might touch them, that he might bless them. And the disciples rebuked them, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And said to them, let the little children, or let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them and laid his hands on them. See, there's, there's affirmation, there's acceptance that's communicated in that way. You see Joseph doing that with his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and he brings them before Jacob, and, and he takes his hands and he puts, instead of on the, his right hand on the oldest, he puts it on the youngest and crosses them, and it bothers Joseph. And he says, no, I'm blessing them in different ways, my son. And he gives them a, an understanding of a future, and he affirms them, but it's communicating, embracing them, touching them meaningfully, and let them know that we love them. That's why in Scripture we see, even when someone is sick, to be laying hands on them, to be showing them that they are loved. How many people just need a hug? Love. So we need to make sure that we are embracing them affectionately. Next, we need to make sure that we are telling them lovingly that we love them. Telling them lovingly. Communicate it to them. That they're valued. Especially if you have small children. When they're in the... There you go. That's an amen from the outside there. But telling them that we love them. Taking them in our arms and telling them, you know how much I love you. I love you. Telling them, even if you're an adult, you're a grandparent, your children might, you might even be in your 90s, your children might be in their 60s. 
tell them that you love them. You're proud of them. Just tell them and communicate that you love them. Telling them. You know, Smalley and Trent telling all the, the guys who wrote the blessing, telling an all too common story about a man who had given all of his time and pursuing fulfillment and accomplishment. And they wrote this. They said, a thief is loose in many homes today who masquerades as fulfillment, accomplishment, and success. Actually, this thief steals from our children the precious gift of genuine acceptance and leaves confusion and emptiness in its place. That villain's name is overactivity, and it can keep parents so busy that the blessing is never spoken. Even with parents who dearly love their children, as one woman we talked to said, who has time to stop and tell them? We let television and the internet communicate more than we do to our children. We need to make sure that we're not doing that, but make sure that we are lastly blessing them with a legacy. Blessing them with a legacy. Jacob blessed his children and blessed his grandchildren. I long for the day that my grandfather blesses me. I pray that he does. I pray that I might bless my children with a legacy, that I might look at them one day and just say, I see God using you in this way, communicating that meaning to the next generation. I think we all long for that, to have our parent bless us. Maybe we don't have that. We have that hole in our heart. Then we go before God and we say, Lord, we know that we are accepted in you and we will take your blessing, but help us then bless those around us and communicate meaning to them, that they are valued, that they are prized by God because you've given us that power of a parent to influence that generation for ages to come. Let's close our message time with prayer and then celebrate as these kids come up and sing God's praises. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, and we pray that we might find our rhythm as parents. We are so busy, but help us to build those rituals, those times of teaching into our children's or our grandchildren's lives, whether they're there for the weekend, Lord, or maybe we're, we might be a parent who's divorced and we only have them so many days, or maybe we have our grandchildren once uh, a summer, or uh, whether it might be just taking them out to the movies or, or cousin or whatever it might be, but we have the ability to influence that next generation. Help us to do so powerfully and faithfully, knowing the power you have given us as an adult to communicate to these young hearts and minds that are around us. Lord, for those who have, us who have messed up, as we see regret in our rearview mirror, help us to trudge on faithfully, to take step by step, knowing that that time is past, is lost, but we still have the moments that we're living in now to speak your praises and to communicate to the next generation. Help us to do so boldly. Help us to do so powerfully and circumspectly. Help us to realize our own limitations and at the same time relying on you in faith, getting on our knees in prayer, following our, your word and pursuing you wholeheartedly so that your name might be praised. We ask you to do this now in Jesus' name.